Hello and welcome to this week's Hong Kong Heritage, where I talk with China analyst and author Mark O'Neill about the Société des Missions Étrangères de Paris, or MEP, the Society of Foreign Missions of Paris, which started in the 17th century and would come to Hong Kong after it became a British colony. Christian missionaries believe their duty is to take the faith, the gospel, to the entire world. So it's not just evangelizing the country you're living in or the neighboring countries. You must evangelize all the countries of the world. So this means evangelizing the countries in Asia too. Now, of course, this was an enormous challenge for missionary orders in Europe in the 18th and 19th centuries because of the distance and the health and all the many other issues. But that's the challenge they took on. So Hong Kong was an extremely attractive place for all these foreign missionary orders because it was under the control of a British administration. The British administration is Christian. They recognized the work the missionaries were doing. They protected them. It gave them a base that they didn't have in mainland China or in Japan or in Korea or in Vietnam except when it was a, a colony of France. So that's why Hong Kong attracted so many missionary orders. And their main target, of course, was China. It wasn't Hong Kong. So you put your base in Hong Kong, and from here you send missionaries into China and to other countries in Asia. And when those missionaries become sick or when they need rest and recreation or when they're expelled by the warlord of that particular place, then they can come back here. Now, how welcoming, obviously Hong Kong was a British colonial territory, how welcoming was the, the Hong Kong administration of these missions? I think the Hong Kong government at the time, they welcomed the missionaries because the missionaries did work in Hong Kong. They established schools, they established medical facilities, they established orphanages, they looked after girls that had been thrown away. They performed many valuable functions within the Hong Kong society. Well, this meant the Hong Kong government didn't have to do it. Perhaps they would give them a subsidy toward it, but it relieved the so Hong Kong... like help with a building or something like that? Yes, or if they opened a school, they would give a subsidy to the school. So this relieved the Hong Kong government of a large burden, especially for the Chinese population. I mean, in the early decades, the colonial government was not very concerned about the Chinese population. So by having these missionary orders here, providing education, health and other services to the Chinese population was a great benefit. But of course, the most important thing is that the government, Hong Kong government, was run by people who were Protestants, but they were Christians. So there was a fundamental agreement with what the missionary orders were doing, which was, of course, absent in... Korea, Japan, Vietnam, where evangelizing was illegal because the governments there did not welcome the missionaries and did not accept the premise of what they were doing. The Society of Foreign Missions of Paris, when did they first come to Hong Kong? Well, this is a very old order. It was set up in 1663, and since then until now, they've sent 4,200 missionaries to Asia, Canada, and the Indian Ocean. 1663 in Paris? Yes, yes. So their mission was to evangelize the world. So by the mid-19th century, before Hong Kong was set up, they already had missionaries in Vietnam, Korea, Japan, China, Burma, and Malaysia, already there. Now, in most of these countries, evangelizing was illegal. So it was extremely dangerous and difficult to do this work. So then the colony of Hong Kong is set up, 
And this is an absolute godsend because MEP now has this Asian empire of missionaries, but they don't have a good base from which to operate it. So they were operating from Macau. So as soon as Hong Kong was set up, their procurator general, the, the chief, moved his operations to Hong Kong. So 1848, he set up his headquarters here in 6 Staunton Road. And from Hong Kong, they managed this, if I can say, empire of, of missionaries. So the first procurator general here, he was here from 1848 to 1866, and he was in charge of 220 missionaries, of whom t half of them went to China. And in 1860, there was this uh, Anglo-French expeditionary force to China. And of course, they need interpreters, so he lent them too. So from the historical point of view, this is not so good because you're, you're lending your credibility to you know, a military force that is acting against China. But anyway, that, that was, was done at the time. So that's 1860, so they lend their translators uh, to, as you say, this military force. But that wasn't actually, as we've spoken before, we're on a previous uh, programme about Karl Gutzlaff, who also was a, a missionary, a very ardent one, and earned lots of money from this mix of, as you described it, having the Bible in the one hand and the opium in the other. So there is this heritage of missionaries, uh, means to an end, let's say, and also, you know, obviously getting funds from what we would describe as a somewhat nefarious means in, in this day and age. But looking back at 1860, wouldn't have been so, quite seen as quite so improper. So 1860, as you say, the French mission lends its translators, as you say, to the Anglo-French expedition that heads on to China. What I find interesting, as we'll hear in today's programme, is just what the French mission did in Hong Kong, in the fact that it, it would buy up farmland, it would have a printing work. So it, it actually had some quite diverse kind of, well, let's say, businesses and buildings. Yeah, and this is what is most interesting about our program today, that the, the people who ran this missionary effort in Hong Kong, they were not only priests, but they were business people, they were managers. They had to raise funds to fund this enormous complex of missionaries that they had. And remember, when a missionary goes to a country, there's no income. The idea is that you develop a local community, uh, you develop local priests, and so maybe after 20 years that community becomes self-sufficient and then it contributes funds and it can pay for itself and maybe pay for other people. But in the first 10 or 20 years it's not going to, so it needs funds to support it. So the managers here who are priests, this was very much in their minds. So as we shall see, they used Hong Kong very intelligently as a place to develop businesses and raise revenue. But let's talk about one of their first projects here, which was 1875. They bought 24 hectares of farmland in Pock Fulham, and they built a large sanatorium, which they called Bethany, with 14 bedrooms. Now, the purpose of this sanatorium was to treat missionaries, not only in China, but in other countries of Asia, the missionaries who'd become sick, who were exhausted and need rest and recreation. And this sanatorium operated for nearly 100 years, and they treated 60 missionaries a year. So it's a very important facility. And of the people in the sanatorium, 101 died while they were there. So those ones are buried in, in Hong Kong. So this was their first major project. Well, of course, Bethany is still there. It's a beautiful building. Yes, well, uh, as we will s say later, it was sold to uh, Hong Kong land in, a in 1974. 
And now it's Hong Kong Academy for Performing Arts. It's got many different functions, including a museum about the MEP is there, as well as the other, other things. Now, the next big project they did here was they bought Douglas Castle and they changed it into a printing works, which they called Nazareth. So Douglas Castle, yes, I went to have a look at that. I mean, mm. it's, up, it's still up at, um, as part of Hong Kong U, and uh, it's used actually, it's a little, it could do with a little bit of uh, a lick of paint when I went around to see it. It's, it's basically used as student accommodation these days, but it's still, you can see all the balconies, verandas, it, it's quite a, a large building. And this was used, as you say, it was bought, uh, called Douglas Castle, bought as a printing works by this French mission. And the work they did there, I think, is really admirable. They used it to print books in 22 different languages. So, of course, some of these would be European, French, English, German, but most of them were Asian languages, Vietnamese, Siamese, Khmer, Laotian, Tibetan. And in some of these languages, there had been no printed books before. They were the first. So this was a really valuable contribution. And they produced 62,000 copies and 29 editions a year. So the books were printed here. And then they went to these countries or they went to the communities of these countries abroad. So what were the nature of these books? Initially, it would be religious books but then there would be books on social topics, on historical topics. And this is something where I think you know, we Europeans can be proud of having done in Hong Kong, because in some of these countries they didn't have the facilities to do this. So this enabled them to have written material which was not available before. So between 1884 and 1934, this press produced over 3 million copies of books. And so the idea of it is that you know people would then apply and say, I want my book printed. How, what was the business model for it? Or they actually, did they get paid for printing these books? No, I think, I think the impetus would come from the missionaries in, the, in these different countries, ah. you see. And they would be aware of written material and they would say this written material deserves to be a book and we would like to use it as a book. So they would provide the text and then the book would be printed here and they would, they would take it back. You may know that the Vietnamese language, as we read it today, is the result of a French priest because Vietnam used to use Chinese calligraphy, but very few people could read it, only the elites could read it. So this French priest, he made a Romanized form of it so that once you knew the Roman characters, you could read it. And that form that he device is the one that's used in Vietnam today. So once you have this Romanized form, you can then produce books in the Vietnamese language that the majority of people can read. So extraordinarily academic, some of these priests. Well, the same happened in Taiwan. The Canadian and British missionaries realized that the majority of Taiwanese people could not read Chinese characters. So when they gave them the Bible in Chinese, they couldn't read it. So what the missionaries did there was they Romanized the Taiwanese language, they created an alphabet, and then they produced Bibles and other materials using the Taiwanese alphabet. So if you go to the Presbyterian Church headquarters in Taipei, all the text you'll read there, there is Chinese characters, this Taiwanese Romanized form, and then English, everything is there. So without the missionaries, we would not have this written Taiwanese language just as we wouldn't have the Vietnamese written language today. Interesting. I didn't know that. 
So you had, as you say, these variety of books, some three million done during that period by the Society of Foreign Missions of Paris, or the French Mission, and that's done at what was formerly Douglas Castle and is at the University of Hong Kong. Douglas Castle is worth a whole other programme, but just briefly, it was built by Scottish trader Douglas Le Prake in 1861 and was then sold to the French mission at the time of the bubonic plague in 1894. The Japanese secret police would take over Douglas Castle during the Second World War before returning it to the mission, who sold it to the University of Hong Kong in 1954, and since then it's been used as student accommodation. So now I'd like to talk about the man who was in charge of the MEP in Hong Kong for 23 years called Father Leon Robert, and he was a really extraordinary character. He first served 12 years in Shanghai, so he was already very well informed about Chinese matters and missionary work in China. So in 1903, he moves to Hong Kong, and he's in charge of the whole Asian operation. So by 1912, he's got 34 missions, 1,394 missionaries, 889 local priests, and 1.55 million Catholics. He's in charge of all of this. So he's got to raise money and support all these operations all over Asia. So he's a very smart businessman. He is on the board of the SCMP. He buys lots of shares in the SCMP. South China Morning Post. Yes. Oh, yes. And he advises the post to leave Central, where they're paying a very high rent, <laughs> and to move to North Point and buy a cheap property there and move their headquarters. And he was saying this in 1910, <laughs> and they didn't do it. Now, if they'd followed his advice, how much money would they have saved? Anyway, he buys shares in many companies. He buys shares in HSBC, Dairy Farm, Hong Kong Land, and he uses all the income from these shares to support the operation. Now, Dairy Farm, when I think about where Bethany is in Pok Falam, Dairy Farm was pretty much adjacent on the farmland, wasn't it? Oh, yes, yes, that's, that's quite right, yeah. Now, he was also active in the property market, because <laughs> just like today, if you want to make money in Hong Kong, you have to in the property market. This is Father Leon Robert, yes. so a very astute businessman. So in 1915, he buys one battery path and he renovates it and they move in in 1919. And it's, from then on, it's called the French Mission Building, which is very, a very famous building. Yeah, you may have known it more recently as uh, the Court of Final Appeal. And now it's still run by the Department of Justice. But yes, so it was the French Mission Building. So it's the red brick buildings, lovely, as you just um, head up one battery path. And up the top there, you have the French Mission Building and uh, then leading on to St. John's Cathedral. There's that area at the top there on the hill. Now, his biggest property deal in Hong Kong was even more amazing. There was another French order called the Sisters of St. Paul's, and they had been established very early in Hong Kong, and they were headquartered in Wan Chai. They had a lot of projects going on there, but they didn't have enough space. So they asked him to help. So because he was connected to the business world, you know, the property world, he found out that Jardine Matheson had a big cotton mill in Causeway Bay, which they wanted to sell. So he went there, and after the first visit, he decided this is the place where these sisters should move. So he did quite a complex property deal, whereby he bought this mill, 
they sold the land in Wan Chai where the sisters were, and they converted this mill to provide for all the services that the sisters wanted, which is orphanage, school, hospice, chapel, place for the sisters to live, and a very modern hospital. And this opened on May 15, 1918, and it had state-of-the-art operating theatres. It had four grades of room. So you have expensive, first class, second class, and then rooms for the poor. And it was one of the most modern hospitals in Hong Kong at the time. And it proved to be very popular. And Father Leon Robert was so smart to offer these different grades of care. Because just like today, there is the market for that in Hong Kong. People are quite willing to pay extra in order to have a room of their own or just room with two people and to have this private care. Now, these sisters of St. Paul, I've seen some old photographs of them, and they have the most big white headgear, quite an extraordinary kind of white hat that they wear. Yeah, I mean, they did amazing work here. I mean, they accepted the girls that had been discarded by their mothers, and they accepted tens of thousands of these girls, and they gave them a refuge, they fed them, they educated them, they prepared them for life in Hong Kong. So th this is what they were doing, but they of course didn't have the business acumen or the contacts of Father Robert. So thanks to him, they were able to move into these excellent facilities, and there the, the sisters are still operating there now. And by 1923, the sisters had paid off all the debts from moving into this new facility. So this shows us how good the business planning of Father Robert was. His project worked so, so successfully. Interesting. So this is uh, talking about Father Leon Robert, who was the Procurator General of the Society of Foreign Missions of Paris, which first comes to Hong Kong in 1848. So that's the French mission. So we've got the French mission building at One Battery Pass, which you can still see, the, the red brick building there. They also had Douglas Castle, or what was formerly known as Douglas Castle, and that's uh, up at the University of Hong Kong, the massive, like, uh, kind of a wedding cake type uh, architecture. And that was the printing works, where they would produce more than three million publications over the years. And uh, then there was also Bethany, which was created as a sanatorium for the missionaries who were all over Asia and they would come in there exhausted or ill and would be treated there or at least get some rest and re recuperation. So finally Father Robert left in 1926 and he was so distinguished that he then became the Procurator General of the whole order in 1935 and he held the post till 1946. I'm not surprised, he seems a very capable man. Yes, so he was succeeded by a man called Father Leon Vircondole in 1926. Now again, he was very well prepared. His first mission was in Guangzhou, then he came here in 1921 and he served as the deputy of Father Robert for five years. So he carried on the tradition. He was very active in the property market. He traded properties in Yamade, Prince Edward, Tonkawan. And we have a figure for 1952 in which the MEP earned $600,000 from shares that year and had rental income of 35000 from rents. So can you see, even such a small place as Hong Kong was able to generate a large amount of money, which they used to 
provide to the missionaries all over Asia. So 1939, the war breaks out, France falls, and we have a Vichy government in France. So this means for all the French people in the world, they have to decide, do we support the Vichy government or do we support the free French government? And the consul here, the French consul, and Father Vieux-Condolet, they supported the free French side. So his job now is to try to protect the assets of the MEP in Hong Kong from seizure by the Japanese military. So he has mixed success in this, but the Battery Pass site he manages to keep safe because the Japanese considered it to be a religious place, so they didn't occupy it. So this had many functions during the war. So the Irish Jesuits used it, the Tonkin Coal Company used it as their office, and then in 1943 the French consul died, so the father moved the consulate into his building so the, the Japanese could not take it over. So his role in the war was very remarkable. Then, of course, 1949, the new government takes power in China and expels all the missionaries. So all the MEP missionaries in China arrive in Hong Kong. So he has another huge challenge, which is to look after these missionaries, help those who are sick, and help them find another country where they can go. So he's extremely busy at this time. Now, he has a quite pessimistic view on Hong Kong's future. I think he suspects that the new government is going to also seize Hong Kong. So he sells quite a lot of the properties here. So in 1952, he sells the Battery Path building to the Hong Kong government for $285 million. And in 1954, he sells the printing works to Hong Kong U for 1.5 million Hong Kong dollars. Now this was a very controversial decision because many of the missionaries felt that this printing works was performing an, an invaluable function that no one else could replace, especially printing books in Asian languages where they didn't have this facility. But I think his judgment was that if the new government occupied Hong Kong, then these properties would be worth nothing. So I think that's what made him do it. He finally retired in 1960, but he stayed in Hong Kong for 10 more years, and he only returned to France in 1970 and died there in 1973. It's interesting, isn't it, these different periods when uh, you know, people have to make decisions when things are affecting Hong Kong, um, you know, whether that's in the wake of the, the Communist Revolution, new, new government in China, and as you say, the missionaries were pouring out so he would have been getting first-hand these missionaries who've been ejected from the mainland. So that's his take. So you can understand his sentiment on wishing to sell these buildings. Another crux time is, of course, the 67 riots. It, these are key times in Hong Kong's history where it's like, do we stay, do we go, do we, do we sell our assets? You know, and, and nobody's got a crystal ball. Well, if you read the Catholic literature about China, it is very virulent because the Catholic missionary effort in China started with Matteo Ricci, you know, when he went to, to Beijing. So the effort to evangelize China is uh, three centuries long. And you can imagine, 1949, how many missionaries there were in China. And this particular order had a hundred of them. So there's a great sense of hatred for what was done to them. So I think you're completely right. If you'd asked a businessman or if you'd asked an Indian 
or if you'd asked a Hong Kong Chinese merchant, they would all have a different view of what was going on. But I think the Catholics, especially those who'd been involved in missionary work in China, they were particularly anti the new government. So I think that affected his thinking. So all these missionaries arrive in Hong Kong. They stay for one or two years. Now, most of them go to other countries, but some of them stay in Hong Kong. So let's talk about two of them. One is called Father Chevalier. Now, he, his first mission was in Guangzhou, 1946. He was working in a leper house. Now, I'm sure you know, well, not only China, but in many countries, lepers are expelled from their families and their communities. Nobody wants to deal with them. So the church had a leprosy house in which the, the lepers were. So his first mission was to work there and look after the lepers and learn Cantonese and, and, and talk to them. So he was expelled from China after the new government was set up. And his next mission was to work in a place called Taikulu, which is the community around the, the press, the printing press. Now, all the staff and all the families were all Catholic, so his job was to minister to them. So he has a car. He's the only person who has a car, and there's no public transport there, so he's very generous. He lets them use the car. And one of these families produces a priest called Dominic Chan, who becomes the vicar general of Hong Kong from 1992 to 2019. So Father Chevalier is very busy in Hong Kong ministering to Hong Kong people. But very sadly, in 1981, in April, he goes to visit his nephew in Thailand, and they visit a refugee camp. And then he's driving away from the refugee camp, and there's a car accident. So unfortunately, he's killed in the car accident. So they have a funeral service here in Hong Kong, and hundreds of people arrive. So this is members of the Catholic Church here, but also many of his parishioners attend this. He's obviously a very well-loved person. Now, Father Dominic Chan was on a recent program of mine, uh, but uh, in terms of his uh, not only Catholic, but also Hakka heritage, and this was in the, the, the island village of Yimdinjai, where he, he actually comes from. So Father Dominic Chan is a French mission priest. Yeah, well, he, he, he was in this community which Father Chevalier ministered to, and it produced several priests and nuns. And Father Chan was the most outstanding in the, in the sense of the, uh, the position he, he held. Now, the other missionaries I'd like to talk about is Father Joseph Madior. Now, he went to China even younger. He went in 1937. So he was in Guangxi in southwest China, and he was in the Nanning Diocese. So he was expelled at the same time. So his mission work here was in Kennedy Town. So after 1949, you know, tens of thousands of refugees arrive in Hong Kong. And so he builds up his Catholic community in Kennedy Town. And he builds a school, a church, offices, meeting rooms. And he develops the whole community there. And he stays in Hong Kong until his death in 1981. And he's aged 80. So from 1847 until today, there have been 105 MEP priests in Hong Kong. So some of them have been parish priests, like these two, working with the Hong Kong people, and others have been like Father Robert, more managing the operations of the mission all over Asia. Currently, there are 14 missionaries in China, most of them in Hong Kong. 
So they are doing pastoral work, ministering to hospitals, old people, also doing some research. My thanks to Mark O'Neill talking there on the history of the Society of Foreign Missions of Paris. Thanks for listening and join me next week on Hong Kong Heritage.